Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Just before the break, um, right at the end of the prayers, Gretchen led us in the Lord's Prayer. And, And I was thinking about that the other day, and I was thinking, I bet you that's the only time in all of our lives that we start communicating in Shakespearean English, right? Um, and I've heard of churches where they've tried to like say, hey, why don't we just upgrade this, you know, or update it, you know, put it in more modern words. And there's always a lot of resistance to it. And I think one of the other things is we kind of look at it as sort of like a holy recitation, right? Like we just kind of run through it, kind of feel like we've accomplished something uh, good. But this is like a prayer, right? We're actually asking God for something. And this one part, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's a part that's so important, but we, we don't really understand it very well. And I think it's because it's really hard for us in 2023 to understand the idea of a king. To understand the idea then, by extension, of a kingdom. Like, when we hear the word king, we think of a guy like this, right? Where he wears kind of quaint old clothes, and he kind of makes these, like, harmless pronouncements. Like, I understand his first big message is on how we shouldn't waste food. I don't think anybody would argue against that. You know, there's nobody going, I think we should waste food, you know? He's just a... But, and so everybody goes, well, he's nice, but... I don't think that's the concept of a king. Probably the closest thing we have to uh, kings these days are these two guys right here. Uh, Xi Jinping of China and Kim Jong-un of North Korea. I mean, these are guys you don't mess with, right? Um, They're guys, like, if you look at that picture on the right, if you look closely, you can see that every single person in there is clapping as uh, Kim Jong-un walks by, even the guys who are walking behind him. And I know this is is a fact that in some of the communist dictatorships, at least in the past, people were were afraid to stop clapping because they knew that if they were seen to, like, not be clapping, it was going to not go well for them. They might just disappear, you know. And so these are guys who, like, enforce. Off with your head means your head's coming off. Now, when we talk about, like, the kingdom of God and we're praying for God's kingdom of to come. It's different from both of those things. Not a ceremonial kingship, nor is it one that's like imposed by force. And it's, but it's something that Jesus talked about all the time. And actually, the very first thing that Jesus says when he appears in the gospel of Mark is about the kingdom of God. And that was back in Mark chapter one, where Jesus announces that his kingdom is invading the world. So it says in verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You can see this is like a voluntary kingdom, right? He's going, I'm inviting you into this kingdom here, but it's going to take you changing directions, you know, that idea of repent, and you're going to have to trust me as your leader, as your king in this, in this kingdom. The good news of the kingdom of God is 
It, it is the invitation to have Jesus rule in my life. That's what we're praying for when we say those words in the Lord's Prayer. Which, and also that that kingdom will spread, right? Which will bring incredible blessings. That mug that we give out to people when they come as visitors has that scripture in it from uh, Jeremiah 29. The context in that Jeremiah 29 is kingdom. It's saying, you know, if you'll repent, if you'll turn back to me, then you're going to return to your land. Then I know the plans I have for you. You know, plans not to harm you, but to bless you and all those good things right there. I put that number 162 there because if you count up all the times that Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God in the Gospels, it's 162 times. He talked more about the kingdom of God than about anything else. That was a big, the big deal, the kingdom of God. And I think probably the best way to illustrate how it fits into the way we you know, look at what it means to be a follower of Jesus here is to look at a little story here in John 8 before we get back to the Gospel of Mark. So there's a story about a woman who is caught apparently in the act of adultery and she gets dragged in front of Jesus. And it, it says here in, in John chapter 8, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees uh, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, this is kind of a test question for him, right? Because they don't have, nobody's got the authority here among them to execute anybody. The Romans had the, the power to, you know, of capital punishment. And the Romans were pretty cool with, with adultery anyway. This wasn't on their radar very big, right? But they're trying to, they're going, hey, back in the day, they used to take this real seriously and they would execute people. So what do you say? What do you say? That's what we call the law. The law. You know, it's like we realize we've done wrong. There are consequences for it. We've got to pay somehow. We call that the law, okay? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. This is the only time we see in the scriptures where Jesus wrote anything, and I really don't know what he wrote, but it says, you know, he says those words. He says, okay, if you haven't sinned, toss the first stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I know why the older guys left first, right? Us old guys are way ahead of you young guys in the area of sin here. You know, we've just, we've just had more years. We've just had more experience, you know, and things like that. Um, and so these guys all just go like, well, I guess we don't qualify, right? And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. That's the gospel, right? So the law is, yeah, she's bad. She's flawed. She's done wrong things. She deserves punishment. But the good news is, Jesus says, in spite of your flawedness, I am going to declare you not guilty. I'm not going to hold anything against you. I don't condemn you. We call it the gospel because it's good news. But the deal is, the story does not end there. I mean, it sounds, sounds real nice as far as it goes, but it does not end there because 
It goes on, and Jesus said, neither do I. I don't condemn you. And then he says, go and leave your life of sin. So here is the kingdom, the kingdom. See, because here's the deal. I, I had a student uh, write something in, in her journal the other day where she says, you know, I don't see how God could be a God of love when God is opposed to my lifestyle. And I guess the answer here is Jesus is going, look at to this woman. He's going like, I love you too much to let you stay in this dead-end life that you're in. I mean, let's face it, you know, in adultery, we don't take it as seriously as we should. This is a homewrecker. This is somebody who's either cheating on her husband or have, being with somebody and helping him to cheat on his wife or both. You know, and you, if you know anything about the way marriages break up and the consequences, this is devastating for kids, too. There's so much collateral damage. And you think about, okay, what's impelling this woman here to go after this person she shouldn't be sleeping with? You know, she's going, man, i got to find love somewhere, right? Or maybe it's pleasure or whatever it is, but she's seeking the answers for her life in the wrong places. And Jesus is going, I can't let you live like that. That's no good for you. You're on, you're on dead-end street. Your, your life is being ruined here. I want you to come in and submit to my rule where there's really going to be blessings, where there's not going to be harm, but there's going to be good stuff happening in your life, and you're going to bless other people. This, this is the kingdom. And so it's, it's kind of like, I think, Alexander the Great. You know, when Alexander the Great conquered the world, and he just moved from west to east, you know, all the way from Europe uh, to India, and just conquering one city and one region after another. Every time he would conquer a place, he would, he would appoint people in that place to propagate the Greek culture. He's going like, look at these people are living like barbarians here. They need what we've got. And so he enculturated it all the way along. That's why when Jesus came around, practically everybody in the whole region and area or the, the world they were living in knew Greek. That's why the New Testament is written in Greek. Because Alexander had spread this culture there. And what happens with the kingdom is... When Jesus takes over in our lives, he begins to remake us in, this, in a good way as his kingdom comes and spreads and brings this new life and blessing into it. And so in Mark 4, which is the chapter for today, Jesus in this uh, chapter starts to use parables to explain more about the kingdom of God. So this is the first time all of a sudden he starts telling stories and using these like concrete illustrations to, uh, to, do, his, you know, to do his explanation. Uh, and it starts out in chapter 4, verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. And if you know anything about you know, the water here, it's like... You can hear the sound much better when it's just, you know, an 